0: afternoon and welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. As you've guessed, this isn't the voice of Ray Greenlee. This is Jim Kerwin filling in for Ray, who is a bit preoccupied today with events coming up in the weekend. He's asked me to fill in for him today and um, looks like we'll be here on Monday and uh, Tuesday as well. I'm just looking to my wife for confirmation she's here with me in the studio audience. Hi, Denise. I want to talk to you today about a very practical application of that song that we just listened to, I Surrender All. It's one that we've been singing, I've been singing anyhow, for 49 years. I became a Christian July 31st, 1968 in Newport Beach, California, about the time that uh, the Jesus movement was just beginning to gain traction and didn't have the name, the Jesus movement. And one of the verses that gripped my heart and caused me not just to sing the song, but to surrender all, because it's one thing to sing it, and it's another thing to do it. Sometimes it sounds pretty in the singing, and sometimes it's a challenge in the doing. Jesus shares at the very end of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, passage you all know, but I wonder if you've thought about a particular portion of it, because it has consumed my life, especially for the last nine years. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Now, those two things, making disciples and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, passing on the teaching, passing on the experience, passing on the knowledge, that has been how what brought me to be what I like to call an accidental missionary. I'm president of a small mission organization called Finest of the Wheat Teaching Fellowship. Those of you who have been listening to the program for many years will remember me. I've mentioned that before. And I want to share with you a story of how that happened, how surrendering all to Jesus, how wanting to fulfill this mandate from the King to go out, make disciples, and teach has brought me to Numerous places in Latin America training pastors. Um, back in 19... 19 what have been... No, 2008, shortly after I got out of grad school, and I'm not fresh out of grad school. If you did the math, you know that I've been saved for 49 years. I got saved at age 16, so you work that out. I was a rather late comer to school. In fact, this could be important to the story, so pay attention to this the Lord did not allow me to go to Bible college. I got saved at 16. I knew by the time I was 17 that I was called into the Lord's service, and I was all excited about following the normal trajectory, which was going to Bible college. Had one picked out. Of course, I had a, a young lady picked out as a wife at that point in time, too, and it turned out, although it was a wonderful relationship, that was not the woman that God had for me. And so First he broke that up, and then he said, by the way, you're not going to Bible college. And I knew when the Lord spoke that. He actually spoke that word through my father and the Lord. I knew it was from him. I didn't understand it. But you don't have to understand everything once you've recognized that God has spoken into your life. So I changed course. I went and studied uh, business information systems, as we called it way back then, a triumvirate of accounting and programming and, and uh, systems analysis, and that was how I spent my college years. But at that point in time, I was also full-time in ministry, pastoring a church in Southern California. Well, fast forward to 2008, and a brother calls me up. A brother runs a small mission organization. He said, Jim, we're taking a teaching team down to Guatemala, and we are Um, looking for teachers. And the brothers in Guatemala have specifically asked for somebody to come down and teach hermeneutics. Now, that may sound like a big $25 word, but what it boils down to theologically and scripturally is teaching the Bible in context, finding out what context is, learning how not to grab things out of context. So I was excited about that because when I was in grad school, that was what I just I ate up. I took extra helpings of it. And so I thought this is wonderful. So I began to prepare and I'm about a month into my preparation. And this brother calls me back and he says, oh, by the way, you only have about two hours or three hours at the most in each location. We're going to be two hours, two or three hours each day. And I said, including translation? And he said, "Mm mm-hmm. So I doubled back and I said, all right, well, we're just going to cut this down and then about a week later, he called me and said, oh, Jim, by the way, the your audience, the pastors, the leaders that you're going to be speaking with, they have only had on average about a sixth grade education. Now, I want to stop right there. I want to stop there because too often, especially here in the States where we, we value college degrees and advanced degrees, there is is no correlation between education and intelligence, which is to say just because someone doesn't have a degree doesn't make them unintelligent. They just haven't had the opportunity to get the education. And that's true of most of these dear pastors in Latin America. Some of the places I've been, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Honduras, Peru, um, they're, they're called by God, and they haven't had the opportunity for some of them for the most basic training, let alone high school and college and Bible college. So I sat down in my chair and I said, Lord, two or three hours in each place, including translation and a sixth grade education, what am I supposed to teach them? And the Lord said, teach them what context means as simply as possible. So I said, okay. And as I sat there thinking about that, the the Lord said, they have no study materials. I, I specifically heard the Holy Spirit speak that to my heart. And by then, I was, what, almost 40 years old in the Lord. And there's some wisdom that you gain, one hopes, as you advance in years in the Lord. So I didn't ask what would have been a very stupid question And I did not ask, are you sure? Because you don't ask the Holy Spirit, are you sure? He's sure, or he wouldn't have said it. So sure enough, I went down, and without seeing what was in my mind or heart, I asked at each location where we went to teach, how many of you have a Bible dictionary? How many of you have a concordance? How many of you have a a commentary? Few of them had commentaries. The other books were almost completely unknown, I mean, they knew what they were, but books are very expensive there, and these pastors live on the most meager of incomes. I mean, even when you factor in the average wage of someone in Guatemala or Nicaragua or one of these places, cut the pastors down by at least half, if if not more. Uh, some of them are, are bivocational. Some of them pastor two, three, four churches. There is just not enough money to go around even if the church is tied, and many of the churches haven't learned how to do that. So I brought this burden back, and I shared it with our small fellowship, and I said, I'm down here teaching these guys. They're eating it up. They, they love God's Word, and they don't have any way to study it. Now, I shared that with a pastor who was on one of my trips once, and uh, that is an American pastor, and he said, well, then they just need to uh, get some apps or go to certain websites to get this information and maybe you thought that too well the thing is most of these fellows, if they have anything they have a phone that's it and it's not a phone where they get a monthly plan they have to go recharge this thing at 100 minutes a pop or 250 minutes a pop and that includes their data and everything else and. You can thumb that little keyboard as much as you want, but it's not very useful for in-depth Bible research. They need something that is solid, that they can have in their hands, that they can pull down off the shelf, that they can use when the power goes out. Because Lord knows, I've been in many presentations where just as we're getting to a highlight, the power goes out for the area because everything is overheated. So, all right. I come back, share this burden. God miraculously provides the money for 30 pastors to receive these three books, a concordance, a dictionary, and a uh, a commentary. They're sent ahead before I go the next year. And then I spent my second session with them, that is the second year, just teaching them how to use these tools, especially, especially the concordance, how to do a word study. Now to you... That may be old hat, especially if you've been in ministry for a while or you've been teaching Sunday school or any kind of activity that requires you to share with people something out of God's word. For them, this was all brand new and amazing. So I would go back then in following years, following up with more of, I'm speaking specifically of Guatemala at this point in time, teaching them more about hermeneutics and part of hermeneutics from the from the get-go, and this may be a challenge to some of you, but hear me out. Part of hermeneutics is, I said to them now, as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, as evangelism, uh, evangelists, as church planters, you are supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Question, how can you preach and teach the whole counsel of God if you don't know the whole counsel of God? And how can you know the whole counsel of God if you don't read the whole counsel of God. So I challenged them that first year and that second year, I said, if we're talking about context, the context that's most important is the context of the entire Bible. I challenge you to read it cover to cover. Now, let me go back to grad school real quick because there's a story I don't know if you'll find it interesting, sad, or tragic, but I will share it with you anyhow. Last summer class I had, it was one of those ones, maybe having been in school, you appreciate this. Nobody wanted to be in the classroom. The students didn't want to be there really. The professor didn't want to be there really. Beautiful July days. And so the professor said, all right, this is a practical theology class. So here's what you're going to do. You are going to give me a project. You're going to detail it, you're going to tell me what the goal is, how it's going to affect your ministry, aid it in some way. If I think it's good, I'm going to sign off on the project, and then if you do it, I'll give you an A. So I thought, all right, I prayed about it, and my project required me to call uh, three dozen pastors and talk to them about this particular project I had in mind and get some feedback but I don't like to cold call. You probably don't either. I don't like to just call up someone I don't know and try to start a conversation. So I thought, how am I going to do this? So I put down a list of questions, and one of the questions was, Pastor, in your, just just your gut level feeling, this doesn't have to be scientific, your gut level response, how many of your people read through the Bible cover to cover regularly. And we'll we'll be liberal about regularly and say once every two years. Do you know what the usual answer was that I got? Five percent. And the overall average turned out to be ten, but that's because there was a particular group of churches. They don't consider themselves a denomination, but you'd know them if I mentioned them. And the pastors there reported numbers between 20 and 30, and those six churches drag the average of everyone else up to 10. I called one church, tried to get through to the senior pastor several times, and finally they gave me the young adult's pastor. And so I put the question to him, and I have to tell you, all these pastors I spoke with were really honest. They didn't try to sugarcoat it, they didn't try to uh, make it sound better than it was they didn't give any excuses this young adults pastor said to me well you know if i if i gave you the stats from my own people that is college and career and young adults up to about 30 the percentage would be 0 he said if i include the seniors the seniors would probably bring us up to 5 maybe maybe 8 or 9% on average for the whole church now to me that was a uh, a story an experience that just broke my heart because here as Christians we give all this lip service to oh the bible is the word of god the holy spirit speaks through it and you you know the whole routine but try to find people who read it through regularly who see the whole thing in context um you know, you tell people they need to read the Bible, oh, that's legalism, or that's this, or I've got these excuses, or... All right. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about that, you deal with him about it because he's trying to deal with you about it. But that's not the point of what I'm sharing today. I went down and shared with these hungry pastors who have no Bible study tools, or at least didn't when we started. Went back the third time to Guatemala and... I said, first thing, uh, the first meeting I was in, I said, okay, how many of you pastors are reading through the Bible cover to cover every year expecting an American answer? Uh, to see one or two hands go up in the group. Every hand went up. And I didn't know Spanish well enough then. uh, I'm learning. Uh, In fact, I think one of my listeners today is Antonio Rodriguez. Saludos, Antonio. He was my interpreter just less than two months ago down in Honduras. In fact, he just got back a day or two ago from Honduras where he's down there helping the pastors. In any event, um so I said to the translator, after every hand went up, I said, they didn't understand the question. So I, I asked it a different way. And every hand went up again. And the superintendent of these pastors said, Hermano Diego, and that's that's their name for me, that Hermano Diego, we took to heart what you said. And Every pastor has signed on. We are all reading through the Bible together. In fact, we have accountability groups. When the pastors meet sectionally, regionally, every week, there's a fella who basically takes names and records the details, and every pastor is now reading through the Bible cover to cover. You know what that made me think? When I was doing those phone calls and asking pastors about their flock and their flock reading through the Bible and what the percentages were. I wish, I I probably wouldn't have been brave enough had, had I thought to do it, but what I really should have asked was, Pastor, do you read through the Bible cover to cover every year? Now, just to set the record straight, the night I got saved, or the day after, I made the Lord a promise that I would read through the Bible cover to cover. And I can say that I have at least kept that promise. Actually, I've had lots of extra helpings, but you work it out. And I've, I've been faithful to do that. So I can stand up in front of these men and say, and, and women, because there are, are pastoras there, and there are other leaders. There are females who are church planters as well among these groups. So I can stand up before these brothers and say, brothers, I've been doing this now for almost five decades. When I started in Guatemala, it was four decades. And I can enumerate to them the real-life experiential benefits of having been through God's Word over and over and over again. I tell you, it doesn't get boring. I catch my wife, she, she likes to read her Bible at the kitchen table right after breakfast because the sun's coming in in the little breakfast nook area, and that's she's kind of like a cat. She follows the sun around wherever it is and wants to be in it. But she's been a Bible reader for most of her life. She got saved at age four or five, and uh, sometime in her, her teen years or very early uh, adult years, she started reading through the Bible cover to cover before she even met me. So she's actually probably been through a couple more times than I have. And we will both sit there and say, you know, I read this passage through umpty times, and I never saw this before. Or I never, the Holy Spirit never put this together with that. And that comes from just reading and depositing God's Word in your heart. I tell these brothers in, in Latin America, because I always start out here when I go to Peru, when I go to. Nicaragua when I go to Honduras every time I start with a new group it doesn't matter what their denominational background is and even did the same thing in Czech Republic when I was there on one of my trips to Romania we started here and and I tell them you know you can pull out of the bank only as much as you put in and some of you go looking for the will of god some of you go trying to find God's leading in a particular situation and nothing comes up. It's like opening your purse and a little moth flies out. David says, I've I've treasured your word in my heart. I've put your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. But there's also the matter of just storing God's word there. The more you have, the more the Holy Spirit has to draw on. And I remember specifically when I was about... Oh three years old in the Lord, I guess. I was I was teaching a Bible study, and by that time I'd only been through the Bible two or three times because at least at that point in time it was only once a year. So a brother came up to me after the after the Bible study, and he said, Where was that verse in Hosea that you quoted? And I said, I, I don't remember quoting any verse from Hosea. Um, I'm not even certain if I know quite where Hosea is. I know it's one of the minor prophets, the end of the Old Testament, but no, I don't think I quoted from Hosea. He said, you did, you quoted from Hosea and the the Lord spoke to me and I want to find where that verse is. I said, awfully sorry. I, I don't remember quoting from Hosea and I don't think I did. Well, he went off just a little miffed. Uh, but back in those days, we had this ancient technology. In fact, it's so ancient, I don't even know if I can call it technology we recorded our messages on these things called cassettes. And so I got the cassette and I put it in the cassette player and I was listening through and all of a sudden I hear myself quoting this verse that I didn't even know that I didn't even know that I knew. And I said, Lord he was right. I quoted from Hosea. How did I do that? I didn't memorize that verse. If you'd asked me to find it, and if my life depended on it, I probably wouldn't have known where it was. And the Lord made it clear to me. I had put that verse in. And so he could pull it out. Let me share something with you, too. And this comes from 49 years of experience as a Christian and, I don't know, about 47 years of ministry experience. My observation, I can't give you chapter and verse for this, but my observation is that the people who hear from God most regularly and clearly are the ones who read his word. I mean, not just a spot here and a spot there, but systematically go through and devour God's word, the parts they understand, the parts they don't understand. I was teaching in Honduras, um, I guess it was the end of July, uh, July into August, and a sister she she raised her hand and she said in Spanish, you know, I tried to read through the uh the Old Testament and there was just so much that I didn't understand that I just quit. And I said, Sister, I've read through the Old Testament fifty nine times, and I still there's still things that I don't understand, but that doesn't keep me from reading because every time I read, I understand more, and when I study, I understand more. I said, if I'd started out saying, I don't understand this, I can't read it, I'd be in a sorry state, and I probably wouldn't be in the ministry, and if I were, I wouldn't be very useful. Uh, maybe there are people that argue I'm not terribly useful now, but I would be less useful than I am at this point in my life. All right, so these people began to put God's Word in their heart. Now, they had a training program going on where they taught these pastors some of the basics. They have a 30-module a course called Cursum, and that's an acronym in Spanish when you translate it. It means uh, Courses for Ministerial Improvement. And this is a big deal for these folks to go through because, like I say, they, they don't have an educa- educational background. I was in one pastor's house once where he had one certificate framed for every Kursum course he had been through until he had all 30. They were just lining the top of his living room just below the ceiling. He was so proud that he had done this. And they went from the pastors to the, the church planters and the Sunday school teachers. And now there are people in the congregations who want to get in on this training. Let me tell you what's happening in Guatemala way back in 2008, or maybe it was 2009, one of the first times I was there, I said, brothers, you don't know, but I want you to look around because some of you are going to be out teaching and preaching in other countries. And they looked at me like I'd grown antenna or like my skin had turned green, like, what are you talking about? No one would want to hear us. We wouldn't have anything to share. A few years back, Guatemala began to send teams of teachers first to El Salvador where they planted some churches and then they began to get invitations to countries like Honduras and to Peru to come and teach these same things and there are two brothers when I go to Nicaragua there's a town called Quilali I'll come back to mentioning that again here in a little bit Um, Pastor Victor and Pastor Walter And now they come uh, with a group that I go with, and they're down there teaching the pastors along with me. And it's, it's an amazing thing for them to see themselves as, my goodness, I'm not just a pastor now, I'm a missionary. Like me, they become accidental missionaries. They just, what they have, other people want to hear, they get invited. And this is the very thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage. They surrendered all. And now they find themselves not just teaching their own congregations, not just teaching people in their regions of Guatemala, they find themselves teaching people across international borders. And it does something for how the church perceives itself down there. Oh, it hasn't led to pride or anything that I can tell, but it has made them realize God can use us. God can use me. I went down to Peru, they would say, and God blessed the ministry there. The people were hungry. Now, that's how we wind up. I say we because Denise often goes with me. That's how we wind up in Peru. That's how I wound up in Honduras this year, was the Guatemalans went to teach. And they said, hey, you really need to get this guy Diego to come And share with you some of the things that he's been sharing about how to study God's Word, how to read it in context, how to preach it and teach it in context. Have him come and teach hermeneutics. So, instead of the American missionary going and and doing things, these folks are the ones who are making it happen. And I just happen to show up, I salute, and I go to uh, wherever they, they ask me to go, assuming that the Lord provides the need. So... It's been an amazing thing to watch them as they have grown in their ministry, as they've grown in God's word, as they've as they've consumed it and done so faithfully, most of them have been doing it now, let's see two thousand and eight two thousand and nine two ten all right they've probably been through at least seven times now. Oh, it gets better. I think about my fifth year. In the third year, all the pastors were doing it. The fourth year, all of the leaders were doing it. The, The fifth year, there were other people in the churches who were doing it. And then the next year I went and I said, how many of you are reading through the Bible cover to cover every year? And not a hand went up. And I thought, oh, Lord. And the superintendent said, no, no, wait. We've changed. Now we all read through the entire Bible cover to cover every six months. And then we, for the other six months together, we study a particular book of the Bible, or we study a particular subject in depth. Wow. How many American Christians do you know that would have that kind of commitment and dedication to be reading through God's Word in six months' time and then giving themselves to study? And these are busy fellows, many of them because of their poverty, the poverty of the churches they're in. I know a fellow, Denise and I, visited his, uh, his new little church plant, which is hardly more than a few telephone poles stuck in the ground with um, a metal roof and a, about a, a yard high uh, pieces of galvanized metal that sort of define the, the shape of the church building. It's all on dirt. This fellow works in the sugarcane fields. And it's a hard work, a hard labor, hot sun. In fact, they go 24-7 during the season, and they don't even have church on Sunday mornings. Many of the churches, they have to wait till the evening to have church because everybody, all the church members, in order to make enough money to survive, they're out there on the sugarcane fields. So these are the kinds of fellows and gals who are finding time to read through God's Word every year, cover to cover. These are the sorts of people that are now reading through it every six months. So any excuse that I would have, and I would think, I mean, I don't know you, but any excuse that you would have is probably pretty thin and pale and weak and sickly and languid compared to what they find themselves in. There is such a joy in a reading God's word and b encouraging people to do it and seeing them do it and the results that have come these folks are confident in their outreach they're confident in their teaching they're confident when they go overseas in fact the only part that they hadn't gotten down so far when i was down there teaching pastors with denise in may it was in may right that uh, uh there were 5 men ready to go to honduras and I said, well, have you sent them off? You know, it just had a formal sending. And they looked at me like, oh, we're supposed to do that? Yes, you're supposed to do that. Because it's you, all of you brothers together who are sending these men. They're representing your your denomination, your group on the foreign field. And so we gathered around them, we laid hands for them, on them, everybody prayed for them, and then we happened to be in one brother's church that next night, or maybe it was the same night, and I said to the church, I said, your pastor is going to Honduras to teach, he's going as a missionary, let's send him out. And the people sort of sat up and said... Oh, yes, that would be a good idea here. And so there were probably, what, two dozen people who came from just just to pray for their pastor and to pray for the pastora because she was staying behind. She'd be the one who'd be doing the preaching and teaching, praying over their family as they went. This is so new to them that and so wonderful that they hadn't even thought about it. But I'll bet you now every time those brothers go, there's going to be prayer groups that are going to be praying for them constantly laying hands on them when they go, and going out. This is how it's supposed to work. So you say, well, that's not much of a ministry. You go out and you tell people, uh, read the Bible through cover to cover. I agree, it sounds pretty simplistic, and it's not quite that simplistic because we do get into in-depth study on, on hermeneutics and books and certain topics. But you know, all of those studies are just about not quite but just about worthless relatively speaking if you're trying to teach people who don't have a background in God's word if they're not if they don't at least have a passing familiarity with what they read in Genesis through Revelation and if they're not trying to gain more i have been preaching mostly teaching because i'm a teacher since I got saved just about... Well, actually, I started my first Bible study within, within weeks of the time I got saved in 1968. I would hate to hear a recording of those sessions simply because I probably didn't know anything because I didn't come from a Bible reading background. I went to liberal, non-evangelical churches that the Bible was just sort of up there on the altar and the pastor might preach from it or, or at least grab a verse, and he might not. It wasn't terribly important. It was kind of a showpiece, and that was it. So my ignorance of the Bible was probably rather astounding. In fact, from heaven's viewpoint, despite the number of times I've read it through, my ignorance may still be rather astounding from a heavenly viewpoint. But, you know, we tend to put people up on pedestals. um, It's kind of like a... uh, kid going to nursery school, I guess we call it preschool now, I have to get with the program you can tell how old I am by the terminology I use it's sort of like a, a four year old in preschool looking at a first grader saying, wow they are so deep and wise and they know math and they can read their alphabet and they can read words of four letters or sometimes five letters, two syllables sometimes I think that the people that we hold up in, in high esteem and think them so great and wonderful are probably at that level. And the only reason they look as important or wise or knowledgeable as they as they do is because of our viewpoint. We're looking from the, the pre-K-4 viewpoint at a first grader thinking, my, how wonderful. Well, all right, whatever it is, we do the best. We, we share what God has given us. And We ask him to to bless it. So Denise and I have been to, you've been to Guatemala twice. You've been to Peru again. In fact, we're going uh, last year and she's going again. She winds up having her birthdays down there every year. I wound up having my, my 65th birthday in Guatemala and then I had my 49th spiritual birthday in Honduras. It seems like wherever we go, it's some kind of a, a date or anniversary or, or birthday when, we, when we're there. And they celebrate it with us. We are friends with these folks now. We don't just go and stay in a hotel and have a big conference. In fact, the places where we teach, uh, you know, the whole thing about I surrender all. One of the things you surrender when you surrender all is you surrender oftentimes, and I'm just going to be just straight out honest with you decent plumbing. Bathrooms, air conditioning. You try teaching. All day. Ninety-five degrees, ninety-five percent humidity. With no air conditioning and fans that only work sometimes because the power keeps going out. Right? You take a shower in the morning. You step out in two minutes. There you think, why did I bother? <laughs> why did I bother take the shower? Because I'm already just soaked to the skin. That's all right. You know, you don't even think about it. You can teach in a whole day in the power of the Holy Spirit and never does that thought cross your mind again until you're done because these folks are so hungry and so eager and just, they, they pull it out of you. Now, a couple of years ago, I started to go to a place in Nicaragua called Kilali and Kilali is, it's, about four hours from somewhere and it's two hours past anywhere I mean they just only recently got the entire road paved and when I say paved I mean paving stones all manually set for the entire distance down to this town that's in it's in northwest Nicaragua and I got there in uh, well I think the first time was like I say four years ago taught started hermeneutics. That's what I've been teaching every time I go. Just tremendous hunger. Sometimes they'll have over a hundred pastors and pastoras and leaders there just drinking in everything you can give them. Just you hand them the, the sheaf of notes for the teaching, and it's like you've given them gold. Well, from the second time I went there, I realized These are just like the the Guatemalan brothers and sisters. They don't have any concordance. They don't have any Bible dictionary. They don't have uh, a commentary. There's nothing that they have. And some of these folks are, like I say, preaching at multiple churches. They're responsible for these congregations up on the hills. They don't have any tools. It's like sending somebody out to mine and saying, the stuff is down there. Go ahead and get it. And you give them a little... Uh, garden trowel and say, okay, go get that. Nothing to work with. So I've been praying. Finally, this this visit, the Lord allowed me to go to Nicaragua into Managua a little early. I made contact with the Bible Society of Nicaragua. I said, look, this is what we want to do for these men out in Quilali. And uh, what can you do for us? And so they put together a package and they said, well, look, we can give you a 20% discount. What comes to about oh, $105 US. Now to show you that's a pretty decent price, Uh, about three weeks ago, before I was going to go out and minister at a a church out near Charlottesville, Virginia, I thought, you know, it might help people to actually see these books, to see what I'm talking about. So I, I bought them off Amazon. I just bought the exact same ISBN numbers that I knew that the Bible Society was going to provide. And, you know, Amazon actually charged me a dollar and a half more than the Bible Society in Nicaragua, in in Managua, is going to charge us. So, uh, and and we have Prime shipping. So, I mean, you could say technically we paid for part of the shipping, but let's count that out. With the free shipping that Amazon Prime provides, it was still a dollar and a half more than it was through the Bible Society. So while I was down there, I thought, well all right, I've got several hundred dollars set aside for this purpose. So I'm going to take these books and I'm going to uh, buy three sets, basically, because that's all I could afford. That's all the money we had in in the uh, account and bought them and carry them with me with the team that went up to Keilali. And I sat down with the leading pastors the day before all the teaching was going to start. And I said to them, brothers, I brought these three sets of books. Um, I'd like you to pray and give me some guidance as far as which of the pastors should get these books, because I would feel terrible to give them to the wrong people or to give them to people that already had them. And as we're sitting there discussing, the Holy Spirit just checked my spirit. And I realized that I had gotten the whole thing backward. I said to these three leaders, I said, brothers, do you have these books? And their heads went down and they shook their heads. And I thought, dear Jesus, thank you so much. I almost blew it. I almost had these guys who would give their right arm to have these books and, and use them for study And I was going to ask them to then pass through their hands and give them to other people. And so I said, brothers, we're praying that God's going to provide books for all of you. But since you're in leadership, you need to learn how to use these. Here is a set for each of you. And I left them with these books. And this one pastor, Feliciano, just a giant bear of a man. I like to be around him because he makes me look skinny. And uh he had tears in his eyes and he said, Brother, I was at a I was at a pastor's conference six months ago and I, I saw these books on the book table and I just said, Oh Lord, I would so much like to have these books and then he had to turn away because a hundred and five dollars US I forget what that works out to in uh, Nicaraguan currency, it doesn't matter is is a fortune for these men absolute fortune. It would be like six, eight, ten months of, of income. And they don't have spare income. So I gave this these three brothers a treasure. And then as I was leaving, I had asked them for a list of every pastor, name, rank, serial number, so to speak. So I wasn't just dealing with numbers. I was dealing with specific people. Uh, I said, I, I need this so that I know who I'm buying for, And so we can pray for these people, and also so that I knew I wasn't just buying extra copies, but I didn't say that to them. Not that they would do that under normal circumstances, but I wanted to be able to be up front with everybody who was donating. And I looked down the list, and I realized, oh my goodness, I think I've broken protocol here, because one of the men on the list who had none of the books wasn't there the day that I passed him out to these three men. It was the superintendent of that particular denomination in that area, or whatever they call the, the super, the bishop. What I mean, it varies from denomination to denomination. He didn't have any of these books. And I thought, Lord, please forgive me if I'd known. I would have just protocol in those countries sort of dictates that the the top man gets it, approves it, and then moves through. But I know that He's really enthusiastic about the teaching. I know he won't take offense, but it still made me feel bad that I didn't know. But imagine the top leaders in this area don't have basic Bible study tools. So that's kind of what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a double challenge today. You can get these tools. I mean, when I got saved, I ran down with my part-time high school income money And I went to what we called a a store called Sacred Treasure House. And the first thing I bought was a Strong's Concordance. Next time I had a check, I went back and I got myself a Smith's Bible Dictionary and then began to add to the collection as I went. So we started, after I got back from Nicaragua, something I call the Sacred Treasure House Initiative. And I've been basically buttonholing anybody. I feel like the Holy Spirit has me buttonhole and say, look, these men are doing the will of God. These men... Are starting to get into their Bibles and really read them, but we're asking them to mine the truths of God's Word with a trowel. They need pickaxes, they need shovels, sometimes they need dynamite to move the things to find what God's put in there. And so far the Lord's blessed it. We need 37 because they added 10 after I left. We I started out with a list of 27 and then they kind of challenged my faith and said, there were 10 that we left out. Here they are. And so 37. And so I said, fine. So we've raised almost half of that. I think we have 15 full sets. If you count the set that I just purchased, that would be 16. So I'm looking for brothers and sisters who have a heart for these Latino pastors, these, this particular time, it's the pastors in Quilali, Nicaragua. They're Nicaraguans. But When I was in Honduras, I made certain not to bring this subject up, and they brought it up to me. They said, all this stuff you've been teaching us about reading the Bible and studying it is wonderful. Our men don't have the tools. And so I mentioned Antonio Rodriguez earlier. He and I have been talking, praying, thinking about how to do that. That'll be the next project. But I want to go to Quilalí, Nicaragua, next April. And have all these books and teach them how to use them. If you have an interest in that, if you could donate the entire $105 for one set, great. Real simple to find out about. You can just go to bit.ly, you know, the little URL shortener, bit.ly slash tools, digit for pastors, tools for pastors. You can make a donation there. If you can not do the whole thing, that's okay. $35, that's one of the three books. Um. If you want to read the story of that, you can go to bit.ly slash sacredtreasure, all one word, all lowercase, and just read about how that came about. And if all you can do is pray, then pray for these men, pray for these women, pray that God would allow us to supply their need, because I don't know about you, but I sit in an office that's full of probably 500 books, and it's a small room every square inch of wall is covered with books. And it was in that room that the Holy Spirit said to me, they have no study materials. Now, we started off the hour with the song, I Surrender All. Part of surrender is what you do. Part of surrender is where you go. Part of surrender is what I do with what the Lord makes me the steward of. And Maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging on you and you're thinking about this. You pray about it. Never give if you don't have a clear witness from the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. I say the same thing basically to these folks when I challenge them on their Bible reading. If you're not clear that you're going to follow through on this, don't do it. I'd rather that you were honest and said, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can read all through the Bible. Okay, I understand that. That's an honest response. I can tell you this. In Honduras, Mm-hmm. I can tell you this, that we had 84 people, no, I'm sorry, 81, 27, 54, 54, 81 people make that commitment to read through their Bibles. I want to bless these men and women. I want to help them in their Bible reading and Bible study. I want to give tools to the people who need the tools to pastor these people and to do the evangelism. Can we go ahead and pray? We're just about out of time here, but not out of time for the books and not out of time to bless these pastors and leaders in Latin America. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share the work that you're doing in Latin America. Thank you so much for the blessing that these men and women have become as they've been reading through your word. I ask, Lord, that if all that comes out of today is that there's... Two dozen people in the listening audience have said, Lord, I've neglected your word, and I'm going to make this commitment that Jim has talked about. I'm going to start reading through the scriptures cover to cover every year. Lord, if if that's all we get out of it, that's worth it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and I ask your blessing on every listener.
1: From falling Amen. And to present you blameless.